Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 24, you realize this is the last chapter in 2 Samuel, and we've been focusing, of course, on the, the kings of Israel. We're looking at David, a man after God's own heart. We're going to go on into 1 Kings because, as you realize, 1 Kings, the first chapter still deal, deals with David, and, and so we're going to see all this. We are seeing the last events of David's life, and there's been some good things and some bad things, but this last event that we're going to see in chapter 24 is really another sad event. He numbers his army, and we could say, so what? What's the big deal? We'll talk about it as we look about it and look through it. Let me just remind you that 1 Samuel deals, of course, with Samuel and Saul. That's what we saw. And then 2 Samuel deals with David. And then 1 Kings, the first 11 chapters, deal with Solomon. So I think it's important that we look through all of those to see how that fits together. Now, this chapter, let me, I, I said it in the first service, but uh, this is... It is a really difficult chapter, and some of the things that happen in this passage that we're going to talk about, it's pretty difficult, so we'll see it as we go through it. Let me raise some things, uh, questions that we want to think about as we go through all this. Where do we put our trust and confidence? Second, realize that our sin affects others, not just us. Some issues dealing with Satan in our lives, and we go, what, what do you mean, Satan, in our lives? We'll talk about it. And then what exactly, what is a sacrifice, and what do we offer? So as we look at this, there's, there's a lot in there, and, and we see what happened with, with King David and what happens here toward the end. Well, when, when we start and look at ourselves, we say, well, you know, nobody's perfect because we've all sinned and come short of God's glory, and, and we see that our Savior is perfect and that we need a Savior, and, and we all fall short. And so when you think of David, we'd say, David, wow, David is a man after God's own heart. He's a great man. And, and when you look at David, I mean, he, he, he wrote the songs, and he was a great warrior, and he was the king of Israel. And, and one thing you may not realize, that when Jesus Christ comes, the best we can tell from, especially from Isaiah and from Ezekiel, that when Jesus Christ comes as the king of kings and lord of lords and rules in Jerusalem, ruling under, king, under Jesus Christ is King David in Jerusalem. So he is, we would look at this man and we'd say, wow, God has really used him and will continue to use him. But, but he makes mistakes. He failed. He sinned. And, you know, you could look at our own lives and we could say, we want to be men and women who have hearts for God. And yet we make, we mess up. We make mistakes. Well, I hate to say this, but we're going to be looking at that. We've seen David where he triumphed and defeated Goliath and had great victories. We've seen him where he messed up and failed with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Well, this morning, uh, there's something else going to happen. He's going to number his army. And you go, so? What's the big deal about numbering your army? And David wants to cut all his soldiers. And we could say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? I mean, well, we're going to look about it. We're going to see sin and discipline and God's sovereignty and sacrifices and all kind of things. And there's a lot of things we're going to look at as we go through the passage. And as I said earlier, it's pretty hard. And, and so here's the, here's the outline. David's sin, and we're going to see that God sends him a message, and then we're going to see God's discipline, and we see David's response. So that's it. There's a lot of verses, 25 verses, but we'll go through it fairly quickly so you can, can see it and put it together. Now, this book covers the life of David, and then we're going to continue, as I said, on. I think it's important that we put together the lives of the first three kings of Israel. If When we study 1 Samuel, you can't just study 1 Samuel. You've got to study 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and a little bit on into 1 Kings if you're going to look at the first three kings of Israel. Now, what happens this morning as we look at this passage? And I'm going to tell you, I think it is one of, it's a very difficult passage to, to figure out what's going on. We'll have to go to some other places to look at it. It's just hard to put together. So let's start with chapter 24. Look at verse 1. It says, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, 
And it incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Well, let's just stop. And the verse starts by saying, now again, the anger of the Lord burned against who? Against Israel. It's against the nation. And the first thing that we see in verse 1 is the anger of the Lord burned, and it's against the nation. But he doesn't tell us why. He doesn't tell us anything about it. He doesn't say, God was mad at the nation of Israel because of a certain thing or because something that they did. In fact, notice it's against the nation. It's against the nation of Israel. So we started this verse by saying, God has anger for some reason against the nation of Israel. And then it goes on and down and says, and it incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So what's going on? And he's going to number the people. So let me raise two things, or let me show you two things. First of all, the sin of the nation, but it's not listed. In fact, we do not know. As you look at the passage and as we look at other places, we do not know why the anger of the Lord was against the nation of Israel. Now, we know throughout history that there were many times that the nation of Israel failed him. They turned away. They worshiped false gods. They did all kinds of things. So there were times that he dealt with them. We don't know what's going on here, but it just says the anger of the Lord burned against them. The second thing is, is David has a sin here, and, and we're going to talk about it because he's numbering the army. And you and I could say, what, what difference does it make if he counted all the soldiers? We're going to find out as we look through it. Now, there's something that I want you to see. Now, it starts off, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So Israel has done something wrong, the nation, and God is angry. But notice verse 24 says, and it incited David against them to say. Now, you may have a different translation, but let me show you something. In the, new, in the NIV, in the New King James, it says, and he incited Notice, and he incited David against them to say, the New American Standard, which I use, says, it incited. Well, wait a minute, what's it talking about? It says, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited, or he incited. Well, who is the he, or who is the it? What is it talking about? Is it the Lord did something? Or did somebody else do something? And what caused this? What, what are we talking about? And, and obviously, honestly, in the Hebrew it's a masculine noun there. But the New American Standard translated it. Well, why? And what's going on? And, uh, you know, to, to incite David against the nation to go number the nation, why is this wrong? And what's going on? Well, to understand, you got to hold your place and turn to First Chronicles. So you got to flip over to First and Second Kings, and then get through First and Second Kings, and go to First Chronicles, and go to First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. So let me put this up for you, and we get some details. Now it may surprise you if you've never looked at this before, and you may not because it's fairly you know most people don't see these passages, and I want you to see. So let's start before we get over there. It says that the Lord was angry against the nation of Israel. And it, or he, incited David to number the people. Look at First Chronicles chapter 21. Look at verse 1. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And First Chronicles 21.1 says Satan is the one that moved up against Israel and incited David. And it says, So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the word that I may know the number. So in this passage, uh, it, it says that Satan moved against Israel. What's going on? 
Satan moved David to number. How does this fit? Well, let me show you. In God's sovereign plan, God allowed Satan to influence David. And David was influenced by Satan to number the people. Now listen. David is responsible for his actions. You say, you're telling me that God allowed Satan to influence David. Yes, I am. In fact, if you remember the book of Job, God allowed Satan to influence Job. Now, Job stood strong the whole time. God allows Satan to influence David, and David is going to number the people. And you could say, what's what is the big deal? We'll see in just a minute. So this is kind of a hard thing to understand, but I want you to understand David is responsible for his actions. And so here's what we get. God allows Satan to influence David. As we live in a fallen world controlled by Satan, we are influenced in our flesh. You understand that Satan is called the God of his age and the prince of the power of the air. Satan controls the fallen world system. The, the fallen world system in the Greek is called the cosmos, which means the ordered system. It is the fallen world system that God has allowed Satan to be the God of this age. So Satan controls and influences our world, our fallen world. We have a flesh, and our flesh is affected by the fallen world. So in a sense, Satan affects the world, and the world affects our flesh. So in the same way that God allowed Satan to influence David, God allows Satan to have charge of this fallen world to influence, who could influence. So how do we respond? What do we do? We're in a spiritual battle. We're to draw near to God. We're to come under the authority of our God. We're to put on the armor of God and resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So we're supposed to stand strong because sometimes that happens. And the best we can tell from the Scripture is that God allowed Satan to influence David. Now, David could have done right. Just like when this fallen world affects you, when this fallen world tells you to do something, when it affects your flesh and you say, I'm not doing it, then you've done well. But sometimes we fall right into it and we do something wrong. And so we allow the fallen world controlled by Satan to influence us. So what does David do? So let's go back. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Let me read it to you again. Now again, the anger of the Lord burns against Israel. Now remember, God is going to discipline his own people, Israel. And it, and we don't know whether we, we could say Satan did this or God's anger. We don't know. It says it incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So what's going to happen is David is influenced by Satan to number the people. And you could say, what's the big deal about numbering the people? Well, look what happens in verse 2. Look what we see. The king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people and that I may know the number of the people. Well, what's the problem? You know what the problem is? David's looking at his army rather than God. David's saying, I got to make sure I got a big enough army. I got to make sure I got enough people. Because if I'm going to go to war, if I'm going to have a battle, I got to have enough people. And see, throughout history, Israel and David have never worried about numbers. 
They've never worried about how many people they have because they know God gives the victory. They don't worry about whether they got 1,000 troops or 10,000 troops or 100,000 troops. They already know that God gives the victory. You can go with a small army and win. You can go with a big army and lose. It's according to whether you're living and in fellowship with God. So David now, instead of saying, it doesn't matter how many soldiers I have because I have God. And God always gives the victory. David is actually saying, I want to know how many soldiers I got. I want to, I want to make sure I got to, I'm trusting my soldiers. That's what we got. He's not trusting God. And this is why it's wrong. Now watch what happens. Joab, verse 3, Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the king shall still see. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing. Joab realizes this is a bad idea. You remember we said Joab sometimes does good things, sometimes does bad things. He's doing something good here. He's saying, David, we don't, we don't need to do this. We don't need to count the people. Why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? We don't need to count the people because it doesn't matter how big our army is because we got God. God gives the victory, not the army. In fact, that's what Job is saying. He's realizing that. In fact, look at this. Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not rescued by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it rescue anyone by its great strength. Victory is not through the material things or through the weapons. David is looking at the wrong thing. David was looking at men and his army and not God. And we have to be careful. Because David was looking to me and not God. And we have to keep our confidence and our trust in God and not in what we have or what we can do. Think about it. It is so easy to trust something else. It is so easy to say, I got enough money. I got enough possessions. I can really do this good. I got this good job. I got my savings. I got my retirement. I don't have to worry about anything. Listen, we don't trust those things. They can all be gone in a minute. We trust God. He is our strength and our shield, not these things. And it's so easy to put our confidence in other things. Our hope only is in God. As we go through our life, our confidence is in the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. He is our strength. He is our shield. He is our sword. He is our victor. It is not how much money we have or how much we have in retirement or how much our house costs or what kind of job we can do or how fast we can run. It's none of that. In fact, look at this. This is Jeremiah 9, 22 and 23. It says, let not the wise, I'm, I gave a summary there, but the verse actually says, let, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the strong man boast in his strength, let not the wealthy man boast in his wealth, but boast that we know the Lord. It's not our wisdom, it's not our strength, it's not our wealth, it's that we know the Lord. Our confidence is in God and not our things. And what David is doing as the king of Israel, he's saying, I want to know how many troops I got to make sure I'm okay. And God's saying, you don't have to look at that to make sure you're okay. You're okay because I'm with you. And when we think about going through our Christian lives, we don't have to say, I hope I got enough money. I hope I got enough possessions. I hope I got this. I hope I got this. Listen, our strength is our Savior. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? That 
is what we depend on. That is our trust. So here's what happened. So David, it, 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 the weirdest thing of all, God allows Satan to influence David, and David says we better count the people. Joab says, I don't think we need to count the people. But David says, no, we are. And so verse 4, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register the people of Israel. So he went out to count them. Went out to count them. And if you start, verse 5, they crossed over the Jordan. They camped at Aor, and they started going. And if you read verse 6, they came to Gilead. And in verse 7, they went to Tyre and some other places. And in verse 8, they'd gone through the whole land. And look at the end of verse 8. It says, so when they'd gone about through the whole land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. It took them nine, almost a year, really, nine months and 20 days to count all the people. And we're not talking about counting the people, people. We're talking about the soldiers, See, David's not just saying, how many people we got in the land? We're saying, how many armed men do I have to defend me and defend these people? And God says, David, you don't need them. I'm your strength and shield. And sometimes we say, I wonder how many of this I got and how much money I got and how much do I have in this and how much. And God says, you don't need that. I'm your strength and your shield. I will provide every need that you have. I will never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? So they counted it, and look at verse 9. And Joab gave the number of the registration of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and of Judah, 500,000. Look at the numbers. You can see David almost go, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. But that's not what David's going to do, because David is a man after God's own heart. And David is a man who is sensitive to God. And the moment he recognizes what he has done, he goes, wait a minute, what, what am I doing? Why do I need to count all my soldiers when I have God? And David realized he's a man after God's own heart. He knew that he had done wrong. He is sensitive to God. And see, that's what we need to be. Because sometimes we go through life and all of a sudden we're doing something wrong. And sometimes when we do something wrong, if we keep doing it wrong long enough, it doesn't bother us anymore. We need to be men and women who are sensitive. And at the moment we recognize we've moved away from what God has for us to do, when we violate the Scripture, when we sin, immediately we need to deal with it. We need to confess it. We need to say, oh, Lord, I've, I've messed up. So look what David does. Look at verse 10. Now, David's heart troubled him. He's a man after God's own heart. It troubled him. Why? After he had numbered the people, he realized, you shouldn't number the people. And you could say, that's not a big deal. Why would God make that a big deal? Because God says you got to trust him. Think back about Moses. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock. First time, Moses was supposed to strike the rock. Struck the rock, water came out. The second time, they're all fussing out there, and God says, Moses, speak to the rock. Moses went up and said, boy, you guys are like, you're making me really mad. And he hits the rock and nothing comes out. So he hits it again and water comes out. And God says, because you did that, you don't get to go into the land. And you could say, that's not that big a deal. Yes, it is to God. And we said, well, David, all he did was number the people just to make sure he had enough. That's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. Because God said, don't do it. God says, trust in me. God says, I'm your strength and your shield. Not all this stuff. So David's heart troubled him after he'd numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, he's talking to the Lord. Look what he says. I've sinned greatly in what I have done. 
But now, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant. I have acted very foolishly. What does David say? He said, I've sinned. I blew it. I shouldn't have done this. Nine months and, you know, 20 days, my gracious. And he says, I shouldn't have done this. And look what he says, I have acted foolishly. I've trusted in the wrong things. The moment we recognize that we've blown it, confess it right then. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. The moment we recognize it, we've got to have that tender heart that, that when we sin, we don't just start you know, covering it up and forgetting it and just going on and keeping on. We've got to have that tender heart that David had and say, oh, no. That's wrong. I can't live this way. I've got to deal with it. I confess it. You're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. Notice what David says. He says, oh, Lord, in the middle of the verse, oh, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. He's saying, I need forgiveness. And let me remind you of something. When we talk about forgiveness, there are two aspects of forgiveness, positional forgiveness, experiential forgiveness. When you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that exact moment, you are forgiven in your position with God, in your relationship with God. Now, let me remind you, payment for sin and forgiveness of sin are two different things. Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. That's the payment for sin. That's done for everyone. When you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have forgiveness of sin, and that's in your position. That's in your relationship. It never changes. Now, as we go through Christian life in our experience we sometimes sin, and we lose our fellowship with God. And what are we supposed to do? We're to confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. This is what David is doing. David is a believer. David has sinned in his fellowship with God, and he's confessing it. He says, oh, Lord, I have done, I've sinned. I've, done great, I've greatly sinned in what I've done, and, and, and I've done wrong. Take away my iniquity. I have acted foolishly. The moment we realize we sin, confess it right then. Well, watch what happens. Watch what happens. God, God's message to David. God sends a message to David by the prophet Gad. Do you remember prophets were pretty, pretty amazing people because they got direct revelation from God. And whenever a prophet came to you, that was pretty important because that was God coming to you directly. You remember the first time a prophet came to David? It was Nathan, and it told about his sin with Bathsheba. Now a prophet Gad is coming, and look what Gad says. Now, David, uh, let me read verse 10 again. Now, David's heart was troubled, saying, number the people. So he confessed it in verse 11. Then David arose in the morning. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go speak to David. Thus says the Lord, I am offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. What, what in the world? A pro the prophet says, God, God, David is giving you three choices. Now, I want you to understand that David has done wrong, and there's going to be aspects of it right here, but guess who the Lord is angry at? Who is it? Go back to verse 1. Now, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So all of this is tied together. God is going to discipline his people, and at the same time, he's going to discipline David. And watch what happens. It says, David arose, and he says, I'm going to offer you three things. Choose for yourself which one you will do. So Gad came to David and told him and said, Shall seven years of famine come to you in the land? 
Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. He came and says, David, you got three choices. You can either have seven years of famine, you can have three years, of mo- uh, three months from fleeing from your enemies, or you can have three days of pestilence. What would you do? Now, see, this is not going to just affect David. Who is it going to affect? The entire nation of Israel. Why? Because his, God's anger, for some reason, we don't know what it is, is against the people. So he gives them the choice. Well, what would you do? You could sit there and go, ah, seven years of famine, that's a long time. Three months from well, they might. what happens if they come? You know, they might get me. And three days of pestilence. Well, what exactly is pestilence? You know, what, what could it be? What could it be? Well, David's smart. Look what he says. Then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us now fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall in the hands of men. David says, I will just fall in the hands of the Lord. He says, look, if I'm going to be disciplined, I want to be disciplined by God directly. Because God what? God loves us. God is wise. He knows what to do. God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And listen, when we mess up, you know what we should say, God? It's in your hands. You love me more than I could imagine. You love me more than I love me. You love me to the millionth degree. And so I know whatever you bring into my life, I have to trust you. Because you're a God of love and grace and mercy. And so the truth is, we always would rather fall in the hands of the living God. Wow. So David says, just let God deal with me. So what happened? Verse 15, so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. A pestilence. It was some kind of either disease or natural disaster. Something happened. Now, you could say, well, that's not fair. These people died, and David is the one that sinned. No, no. The nation of Israel sinned. Because you go back to verse 1, it says, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. You remember that God is dealing with his people, the nation of Israel, and he's dealing with David at the same time. Now, watch this next verse, and it always surprises me. Look at this. Uh, Verse 16, then the angel... This is an angel must bring in the pestilence. Then the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it. Jerusalem? The Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, It is enough. Relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. That's in Jerusalem, by the way. So this angel was about to destroy Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, I say, I don't understand all this. He's going to destroy Jerusalem? And then God says, nope, that's enough. And the angel is at the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. The threshing floor was a, was a flat area that was usually raised up high, and they would take their grain, and they would thresh it and all that, and then they would pick it up, and they would throw it up in the air, and the, the wind would blow the husk and everything away and the seeds and the grain would fall back down. That's a threshing floor. And that's where the angel stopped. And uh, look what God says. Uh, David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people. And look what David says. Behold, it is I who have sinned. It is I who have done wrong. These sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And God could say to David, you're right, you sinned, but they did too. Now watch what happens. This place. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord 
on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. So David went up according to the word of God, just as the Lord commanded him. Now, where is this place? Well, the message is go build an altar at the threshing floor. Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, this is the place. This is the place, where this, this place where Arunah has, a, has it. They're going to build an altar there. That is the place where the temple eventually will be built. I want you to understand, this is the place where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It's on the top of the mountain and Mount Moriah. And, and Abraham took his son up there and was going to offer him as a sacrifice in that place. It is also the same place where Solomon would later build the temple. And it is also the place where one day Jesus Christ will rule as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This place right here. It's amazing. So here's the guy that owns the land, Aruna, verse 20. Aruna looked down and he saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed before his face to the ground. And then Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? Why did you come visit me? And David said, I've come to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people. He said, I've come to, to, buy, to buy the land, to buy the land. And so Aruna is so special. And David is a hero so look what Aruna says. Then Aruna said to David, let my Lord, the king, take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen. Hey, he says, take it all. Everything, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord, your God, accept you. Aruna says, listen, I, I got the, you, you can build it right here. And I got animals that you can take and you can sacrifice. Just take them. Just take them. This will be great. But what does David say? However, the king said to Aruna, No, I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to my Lord, my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money, by the way. David says, I can't offer to God something that costs me nothing. Listen, what is a sacrifice? If a sacrifice doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. David says, I can't offer a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. And when we think about our lives and we make sacrifices, we, a sacrifice costs us. You can't offer a sacrifice without it costing you. And so when we think of the Old Testament, they had animals. And they, they sinned. They were going to take an animal. They didn't go into the thing and go, find the worst sheep we've got. Oh, yeah, that one's got a bad leg. Let's get that one. We'll go offer it as a sacrifice. That's not what they said. They found the best sheep that they had. When they offered a sacrifice, it was the best that they had. And David says, I can't offer to God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Now, what about us? Do we make sacrifices? Yeah. Romans 12, we offer our lives as a living Sacrifice. We talked about this in Grow Group as well. Listen, we don't offer animal sacrifices and we don't offer sacrifices for sin because Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. But we can offer our lives to God. And we can say to God, I want my life to count for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. In fact, uh, we, we, we have the greatest privilege of all, and that is to say to God, you have saved me. You've given me eternal life. I, I'm saved forever. I want my life to count for 
you. We also can, Hebrews 13, we can offer up praise and worship and sharing and good works and giving. All of those are sacrifices to God, and we can do that. And David says, I can't offer a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. I told this in the first service, and most of you know me. I I trusted Christ when I was 19. I believed in him for eternal life when I was 19 in college. And then when age 23, I got to be a coach at Mississippi State, and I was coaching. And at about age 26, uh, if you said to me, you're going to heaven? I said, of course I'm going to heaven. I have eternal life. I got eternal life the moment I believed in Jesus Christ, so I'm saved and saved forever. You could have said to me, are you living for Christ? And I would have said, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm okay, but I'm not living for Christ. And there came a time, and when I was about 26, that I came to the realization that I should live for Christ, that I should, that I should offer my life. And so one night, I came home from, we were in spring training, I came home from practice, and I went to my room, and I said, God, I give you my life. I want to live for you. I, I, I haven't been living for you. I know I have eternal life. I know I'm saved forever, but I, I give you my life, and I want, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. I love being a coach, and I love staying here. And my plan was to be a coach for 50 years. But, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Now, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? I gave up my life. And for every one of you in this room, for salvation, it costs you absolutely nothing. It's free. It's a gift. You're saved and saved by faith. But when you offer yourself to God, that's a sacrifice, and it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your life. And, and what, what you're saying is to God is, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. I have to tell you what happened. So that night, in my room, by myself, nobody knew it, I said, God, take my life. Use me for your glory from this point on. So the next day, we're at football practice, and I'm standing on the field. And one of our graduate assistants comes up to me, and he actually went to the same church I did, but he was, he was serving. <laughs> I wasn't. He was serving in the church. I'm just standing at practice. He comes up, and he went, hey, JB. I went, what? He says, how would you like to give your testimony in church Sunday morning? And I thought, man, that God's serious about this stuff. Are you tell him you want to live. Man, right then, I got to go give him a testimony in church, you know. And so it's true. Is it a sacrifice? Yes, it's a sacrifice. The plague was stopped. Look at verse 24, 25. David built an altar to the Lord and burnt offerings and peace offerings. Burnt offering is a, is a total sacrifice. Peace offering is a fellowship aspect. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land, and the plague was held back from Israel. The plague was stopped. Now I'm telling you, this is a hard passage. David numbered the people because he didn't trust God, but it actually says that Satan incited David to number the people. So the best that I can tell is God allowed Satan to have, uh, incite David, and David followed through with it. He numbered the people. Joab said, don't do it. And, and then when they did it, David confessed and realized he had done wrong. And God, Agad sent the, the prophet came and said, you got three choices. And David basically said, let me just fall into the hands of God. And God did. The plague came, and they sent word to David, build an altar, offer a sacrifice, and it'll all be stopped. And Aruna said, I'll just give it to you. And David said, I can't tell Take it. I have to pay for it. How can I offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing? And that's for us. And I want us to think about this. Let's put our trust in our confidence in God. He is our strength and our shield. It is not how much money we have. It's not the 401K. It's not what abilities we have. It's not our job. It's 
that our strength and our confidence is in the living God. He is inside of us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is our strength. We don't have to trust something else. We trust him. Realize, let's realize that our sin affects others. And let's just face it, whatever the nation of Israel did as a, as a people group, and God was angry at them, he's going to deal with them. But when David sinned, it also affected others as well. And that's why David says, uh, you're killing people and I'm the one at fault. Well, the truth is they're all at fault. But we have to realize that sometimes when we do things, it's never in a vacuum. And it may touch other lives. We may think it's just me, me and God. But it's not just me and God. It's others as well. And then finally... Let's offer sacrifices to God. What can we offer? We can offer our lives. We can offer worship and praise. We can do sharing and good works. We can give. You realize that when you give, that's a, that's a sacrifice to God because you're giving away something that is yours and you're giving it away. You're sacrificing it. And when you do good works and when you offer your life and when you praise, and all, all of those are sacrifices to God. I think the key one is ourselves. And let me just say this. When you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you're saved and saved forever. And your life may or may not change. But when you say to God, I want my life to count for you, he takes it seriously. And he'll take you and he will use you for his glory. And your life will never be the same. So... Let's offer our lives as sacrifices to God. May we offer our lives trusting God, not ourselves, knowing that how we live affects others.